0: Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Reel Radio, the best stop on your radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now, here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Well, ladies and gentlemen,
1: welcome to Rod and Reel Radio. Start of the first part of the year here, where fishing is going to get more exciting as we go, but it's already doing well. Hopalong John Cassidy is on a well-deserved vacation with his wife, Vicky, and he's someplace mid-Atlantic right now on a boat going to places that you and I would like to be, but can't get there from here. So tonight, we're going to do the Rod and Reel Radio without him, but I am your host, Dan Vanderberg, along with... Our co-host, Wendy Tojohara, But first, let me let you know what we're going to be hearing tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the fishing no matter what. Uh, with saltwater and freshwater. Tonight we're going to have Merritt McRae on, who is a Fort Boat owner, a wildlife biologist, commercial fisherman, and involved with the rockfish uh, rules and regulations for what's going on in uh, our state. Uh, after that, we'll have Wayne Couteau from the CCA of California, Coastal Conservation Association of California, with updates of what we're doing to keep America fishing and keep California fishing, especially. You want to hear more about what they're doing and what they're trying to stop. And then the last part of the show, we'll switch gears. We're going to go trout fishing, of all things, but we'll have Ro- Doug Rodericks from Sierra Drifters on air with us, and he will be sharing what you can do winters, spring, summer, and fall in trout fishing in California because it never quits. But first, I want to introduce our other co-host, that is the most wonderful person. If you've never met her, Miss Wendy Tochihara, Wendy. You are the rep for uh, the national sales rep for many different products, and eyeser line being one of them, which most of the guys in the ocean use for their favorite string. What have you been up to, girl?
2: Well, um, thanks, Dan, and happy New Year. Um, yep. You know, this past Wednesday, I gave a seminar to the San Diego anglers, and it was a pretty cool sem- seminar. It was Knights of the round table, and they had five different tables. And every 20 minutes people would switch and go to a different table and get a different seminar. So Mike Lackey, Steve Carson, myself, and, uh, the guys from Fisherman's Landing all had tables and it was a blast. We had so much fun. And then yesterday, Mert and I did a little duck hunting and, uh, froze our butts off and (laughs) out in the rain and (laughs) got a few ducks and, uh, now, today, you know, stayed home and uh, just relaxed. It was tough out, out there yesterday.
1: Well, you know, John left the uh, the inmates inside in, in charge of the asylum and left you and I to do the show. But we got lots of things going on. California has been hit by a rainstorm we haven't had for years. And we have hit, had all these lakes that need water and so much of it. But it was a really good start for the year. Lakes like Casitas, which down was down at thirty percent of the pool, it, is back up. It came up uh, as of the weekend, f- over fifteen feet of vertically, which is great it's going to put a lot of brush in the water and and we got more rain coming. Uh, lakes like kachuma they uh, were were stating the other day they have to open the the dam for the overflow. Which is incredible to have that amount of water coming up. Minnow, they said, came up 24 feet, in, or in like six hours, it was just wow. an amount of water coming in. So, and the Northern California lakes, I know Shasta came way up. They're continuing to get rain. You talk about mammoth and the Eastern Sierra where they've got over 200 inches of snow in this last one alone, and they had a big base prior to that, even even before this snow. Uh, there were pictures of, you know, they had the road shut down from Levining going up to Carson because you couldn't get through, and they showed the, the plows going through. It looked like there's 20 feet of snow on the side where they hadn't been able to drive through. So, we have got a situation where this year we will have some water. We're going to have water in the Sierras running. I'm pretty sure full tilt boogie for a, quite a while. We'll talk to Doug about that a little later on in the show. But that's just the getting. That's just getting started. You're going to have lakes now that have been dry, in the areas on the shoreline for the last couple, three years or more. And now you're going to have lakes that have risen up. The brush line is going to go down 25, 30 feet and try to figure out how to catch these bass in this new format we'll have. You know, braided line is going to come into play a lot and trying to figure out where the fish are going to move that they haven't been in for the last several years. So the bass fishing side of things is going to get pretty exciting. They had to cancel our first tournament that I was going to be in this last yesterday because you the launch ramp that we used to launch off uh is no longer available and uh, there there was so much debris in the that had washed into lakes by the way if you're a boater take it slow as you go when you go out on these waters because all this stuff that washes down into the lake you'll have logs and things just under the water you won't know what you're going to see until you hit it a lot of times Uh, And there'll be floating islands of debris that you're going to have to go around. So, you know, be careful when you're going out there, especially right after the rain like this. Uh, It'll be interesting. (coughs) Excuse me. But the saltwater side of things has still been blown up. Uh, The bluefin is still around. The guys that have been going long-range fishing, I saw a report of a 90-pound wahoo. Man, that is a slug. And the yellowfin has still been going downstairs. Have you talked to some of the people that have been going, uh, Wendy?
2: Yeah, actually, the RP is just heading back um, from there. It was supposed to be a 16-day, but because of the weather, they um, it was uh, tough for them to get out, so they added one more day. So it was a 17-day. Right now, they're headed towards Alejos. If uh, there's some fish over there, they might fish there on the way home. But uh, one of our good friends, Teresa Reynoso, uh, she was able to bring in a kitefish and it weighed 285 pounds. It was a yellowfin and it was, of course, her personal best and just brought her to tears.
1: Well, yeah, <laughs> it <laughs> brought her to tears while she was pulling on it, too. My yeah.
2: bad. It was <laughs> awesome. Was there serious. was a video of her bringing in her fish and they posted uh, the RP posted it up on uh, Facebook. So, congratulations, Teresa. We're all proud of you. That's awesome. Hey, you know what, Wayne? I mean, uh, Stan? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to introduce Merritt. Merit Okay. Matray. He's a uh, saltwater editor for Western Outdoor News. He's a marine biologist. Uh he works uh out of the Love Lab. He is um he represents um recreational anglers on the PFMC uh and he is a state board member of CCA California and many, many other things. He's a professional volunteer (laughs) and he's my other half. And he's going to be (laughs) joining us tonight talking about uh, the rockfish regulations that are going to be coming in effect. Well, that are in effect now as of January 1st. So let me introduce Merritt McCray.
3: Well, good evening, Stan, Wendy. I'm I'm glad to be here tonight. Um, As as Wendy uh, indicated, I'm with the uh, Groundfish Advisory Subpanel as the Sport Fishing Association of Southern California's rep there before the Pacific Fisheries Management Council. And you know, we first heard about the potential for changing regulations in uh, 2021. A, a, an assessment came through on copper rockfish that was not good for us, and a lot of changes had to be made in very short order. Well,
1: you know the that's been changing it's almost year to year here for the last several you they change where you go where you can't go what you can catch what you can't catch how deep you can fish how, how where you can go fishing for that fish up and down the coastline it's been kind of a checkerboard of where you can go and what you can catch but and so is there good news in front of us or are they changing the the season to where and and the catchability of these fish
3: well, there's mixed mixed news on this. First of all, that copper rockfish assessment was really, really bad for us. Um, it spoke to reducing catches of those fish to very low levels.
1: Ex- explain what you're talking about with the copper rockfish, because a lot of people don't know what that means.
3: Well, copper rockfish are the chuckleheads, right? And they're they're a fish that lives in about oh, they're most common about a hundred to two hundred feet of water, and, uh, out to about three. And, and most people encounter them when they're fishing up in the Northern Channel Islands. They get to be really nice-sized and, and valuable fish, are a great part of the catch. As far as that assessment goes, when it first came out, nobody seemed to believe that what it was saying was actually the case. Uh, certainly not the folks at the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, which testified so in front, front of the, before the council. And since then, they have moved heaven and earth to find us other fishing opportunity as we tried to avoid these copper rockfish and management with our management measures. And so that's where our new opportunity that you asked about would come in. But at the same time, we're um, we're seeing some reduced opportunity because of trying to avoid catching copper rockfish.
1: See, now, the, for those that are listening, the rockfish, rock cod, if you want to call them that, the red uh, rockfish that we catch off the shore here, popular Table fair, by the way, very, very good. And that's why people love to to fish for them. And and we've been kind of stopped in areas where we thought we could fish, and the fishing was was good for us. We did the, the sport angler doesn't hurt the numbers at all, but we got clamped off and, and couldn't go to some of these areas. Now this what what it did is made us have to go around those areas where the most popular Rock fishing areas for that particular style of fish is, and now we're we're looking for new. And we've got what did they come up with now? Here, Marin, on this.
3: Okay, so actually, you know, you really can't quite say that sport fishermen have no impact. We were the ones that had the biggest catches of vermilion, even more than commercial, and and the same goes for our copper catch. We were estimated to have many, couple times more uh copper rockfish in our catch. Commercial guys, yeah, commercial guys, got, really, that's good. But, yeah, so we catch some fish. I mean, dead fish is a dead fish, and we do catch some. Um, what we're looking at is having to reduce, you know, this copper rockfish, they live with all those other rockfish species that everybody likes to target. The vermilion, they, they live with some ocean whitefish. They live, they live with a whole bunch of other great-eating fish that are out there. And so it's really hard to not catch them without coppers, without also not catching um, a bunch, of, You know, the the target rockfish as well. And so that's what the department dealt with. And so our, the result really is that we'll see increased opportunity to target um, ocean whitefish. It goes to all year. Right now you can go out there and fish ocean whitefish. Uh, you can't catch uh, rockfish, boat base, hook and line. You can do it from shore. You can do it from a boat by scuba diving or free diving. But not from the boats. Huh. Uh, we will see the same seasons next year for Sheep's Head, but the our catches of those have gone up, and you know, guys have gotten really good at figuring out how to really put some numbers on the boat. Even five fish limits for the entire boat. So that really? limit is going to drop uh, the, the Sheep's Head.
1: Yes, the Sheep's Head—they figured out how to put five. That's really good. That's good. Good technology there when you can figure out how to get that one fish. Uh, off the rock. A lot of times, I mean they would use <laughs> there's several different baits, but what would be the bait of choice for that style fishing?
3: So the, the sheephead that season will start in March as it always has, or at least more recently. Um the best baits turn out to be like clam and shrimp. And and the guys are going to the market and buying blocks of frozen shrimp and for a while they were sneaking them into secluded containers hidden in their tackle box. So that nobody would see what they were doing.
2: <laughs> but everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. So now everybody's catching, catching sheephead. But, uh, you know, so now there's going to be a new limit on the sheephead.
3: So we were so successful. A five fish limit, which really meant that guys were only catching one or two. But it sounded good. It's like that 20 goose goose limit. Nobody's ever going to get that. You can put any <laughs> limit you want because it doesn't matter but the five fish sheep right. limit wasn't doing it because they're actually reaching it a fair number of times. Wow.
1: That's yeah. a, that's, that's a lot of sheep set. I actually, I've never, <laughs> I've never targeted that fish primarily. I've got them on, on a time to time and they do eat. So, uh, and that's a, a pretty good, pretty good fishery. But, you know, so now with the sheep said is that going to affect where you can rock fish, fish and sheep and fish for the sheephead also?
3: Uh, kind of. So when here's how it goes. So uh, April sh- one sheephead opens up, but it's not our ex- excuse me. March one sheephead opens up. But it's not until April 1 the rest of rockfish opens up, and the department found a way to get us access to all depth, given the cow we were rebuilt. So all depth in Southern California, that's up to Point Conception, which is in Santa Barbara County, um, starting April 1. And that goes for about five and a half months. That's about all the time they could give us within the shallow waters where, you know, the coppers are found. And then it goes to deep water only, so that's deeper than the fifty fathom PFMC line. So those are the point to point. We call them the three hundred foot depth limit, but actually, to stay legal, you got to know where those point to point lines are, or or be really conservative. So
1: if so, depth wise, when you say it goes from shallow to deep water, shallow water being how many feet deep, and deep is how many feet deep?
3: So the shallow waters for this next for this year are from zero feet out to 50 fathoms so the 50 fathom point to point which is 300 feet right around you know roughly 300 feet that's what it targets and then the deep water only part is from the 50 fathom lines out to until you're fishing for swordfish out there in 1200 feet of water or more (laughs) as deep as you're willing to go with two hooks and in fact if you don't have a rockfish on the boat out in that deep water you can go to as many hooks as you want, but once you get a rockfish, you've got to cut it back to two. Huh. Well, that's
1: pretty special. Of course, you're fishing. That's a lot of turning of the handle depending on the reel that you're, you're, you're fishing with. And you've got to be pretty, pretty determined to, to like to do that a lot because that up and down uh, gets pretty tiring. Uh, if you, you better have a good wrist. That's about all I can say. Or the new electric reel.
3: Oh, we got the TanaCom 1000s. Wendy's game for it. She's going to break world records left and right. <laughs> well, you guys, you two turned into commercial
1: fishermen too. I know along with you were a sport boat owner and uh, you've been such a blessing to the fishing industry for so long, you know, with all of the input that you've had and, uh, and you're still involved with, you know, trying to take care of the sport and work with the guys, to keep fishing going forward here but this rockfish thing has been such a quandary um with you know when you can go where you can go how many you can catch and then you know the bycatch is if you catch one by mistake um you're you're in trouble <laughs> so hey,
2: you know what, Dan? on that note we're gonna have to take a break we missed our break and so israel's gonna um put us on a break and then we'll be We'll be right back with more questions for Merritt. How's that?
1: Take a break.
2: All righty. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with more Rod and Reel Radio.
4: Hi, I'm Pat McDonald, and I've got some great news. The Hall family shows are back. The Bart Hall Show, February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, is San Diego's biggest fishing show, its biggest boat show, its biggest outdoor recreation event in four years acres of fishing tackle, boats, fishing and hunting, travel and outdoor adventure. Come celebrate 75 years of Hall shows with a full day of family fun. The Bart Hall Show, February 16th to the 19th at the Delmar Mar Fairgrounds.
5: Hi, Roland Martin here. I'd like to tell you a little about Gary Yamamoto and the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bake Company. It all started with an idea, then a dream. And in 1983, the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bake Company was formed. If you know Gary Yamamoto like I do, and I've known him since 1983, you know he has a passionate love for the sport of fishing. That love is only matched by his obsession to design and produce the highest quality soft plastic fishing lures on the market today. Every bait Gary makes is inspected by hand. Today, more than 2.5 million packages of bait are shipped worldwide. On behalf of Gary and his staff, he wants to thank his customers for thinking so highly of his products and wishing you the great success of the sport of fishing. Whether you fish for fun or fish at tournament circuits like I do, you'll honor Gary for making Gary Yamamoto Custom Baits a key part of your fishing experience. Take it for me, Roland Martin. When I'm in need of a go-to bait, my first choice is a Gary Yamamoto
6: Custom Bait. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one fishing, hunting, and shooting sports retailer, now has 28 locations. Turner's is your one-stop shop for fishing tackle, hunting gear, and everything for shooting sports. Turner's offers a full selection and unmatched prices on the gear you need. Whether you're planning a fishing trip with the family or chasing giant tuna, Turner's highly skilled staff will make sure you have the gear for your next adventure. Visit turners.com to find a Turner store near you and be sure to join the Turner's Discount Club to get weekly ads and specials right to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman, your one-stop shop for all your fishing needs.
1: The perfect day is my family and I on the boat out on the waterway.
4: I love it. Nothing but sun, snacks, fishing, and of course, life jackets for everyone. Save the ones you love. Life jackets save lives. A message from California State Park's Division of Boating and Waterways.
7: Since being established in 2015, CCA has achieved great success for the entire sport fishing industry in the fight for our right to fish here in California. 2021 brought us plenty of success, but every year brings new battles, and we need your help. One of the best ways to help support CCA Cal is to join us and become a member, because strength is certainly in our numbers. Become a member today by logging on to joincca.org. Membership starts at $35 per year and that is one of the best ways to help us while you go fishing.
8: Hi, this is Lori Heath. You may know me from some of the fishing boats out of San Diego. I want to talk to you about something that's really close to my heart. Did you know that when you donate blood, you're not only helping others, you're also helping yourself. Donating blood lowers the risk of heart attacks in men by more than 70%, lowers the risk of developing cancer, and helps you maintain a healthy liver. So donate blood to help someone else, and to help yourself. If you can't donate, you can still make a difference with the financial gift. It's the best way to give back. Hook, line, and sinker. And for more information, and to make a financial donation or an appointment, visit SanDiegoBloodBank.org. That's the SanDiegoBloodBank.org. And just to let you know, I'm also a blood donor.
2: The warm weather is here, and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California
7: State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways.
9: We are
1: back. We've been we are back with more Rod and We've been talking to Merritt McRae about the rockfish fishery in Southern California and what we've been up against on areas to fish and not to fish and what we can and can't catch and, and the new ro- re- regulations and what we're trying to comply with now. So you want to give us a little bit more about what we've seen and where we are here, Merritt, and where we're going to be. How's that? <laughs> There's a lot in there.
3: Okay, so the first thing I want to preface this with is, because it gets into the weeds, it's a little bit complicated when people start looking it up, is that almost every time we have complex regulations, those complexities come about because we're trying to get back access that we're losing in some other way. Like, for example, they could cut the copper rockfish catch down by saying, you guys have only a a five-and-a-half-month season, period. And then it would be really simple. But we want more than that. We want to get out there and go fishing. So then it gets complicated because we find ways to get around that, well, you guys aren't fishing thing, and find opportunity out there. Uh, one of the ways that we find we're finding opportunity is by stressing the use of descending vices to release fish that we're not allowed to keep. We're going to get credit for those fish surviving um, at whatever level the science finds it to be By using those devices and the more that we use them, the better we can show that we've reduced our copper catches and can have greater access at sea, which means more days where there are, you know, those depths where they're found are allowed. Now, there's like 50 different species of rockfish that we we commonly catch. Uh, So part of that complexity is that they're divided into um, basically three different management groups at the federal level and then. One of those management groups is divided again into two others at the state level. Um, so, if you go to the the press release that the California Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, put out on December twentieth this last year, you'll find that it mentions several different management regions. They have different seasons. Um, they speak about the rockfish complexes. You can look up and see what is it, are in those complexes, which fishes are in which complex, and so forth. Basically, what I've seen for Southern California is that when you're out there fishing and it's the deep water-only season where you're not allowed to have those near shore complex rockfishes, the only one that we're likely to see in deep water that's gonna be confusing will be the olive rockfish because it looks so much like a yellowtail rockfish. And those two fish, one is a keeper in the deep water only season and the other is not. So there's some complexity and, and guys should get used to, you know, looking it up just like the duck guys get used to looking up their complex regulations. Every year it changes and, and seeing how things are for your area. Um, we're looking at the S- San Francisco management area has different regulations and the central management area has different set regulations than the Southern management area. The guys way up north in the northern California between the Oregon state line and Cape Mendocino, they have a little bit different regulations up there. They have their all depth season um, later in the year because they have other opportunities earlier. While we have ours when it first opens up, um, you know, really, how are they gonna do
1: with the 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 catch and release on these rockfish? Do they have that? I know they've got several different versions of what you can bring the fish up, and then drop it back down to to uh, the right depth and release the fish so it, it's okay. Is that what they're planning to do on that?
3: So as a practice, all the Sport Fishing Association uh, fleet members, is just about every sport boat in Southern California, is encouraging anglers to release all the copper fish that they catch, even those are one-fish bag limit. And, uh, and honestly, that one-fish bag limit, the department staff, wanted it there so we would be able to provide fish for a new stock assessment to get us completely out from under this mess. So we want to release those rockfish, those coppers, and the best way to do it, and we'll encounter a few calcott too as we go to deep water, is with a a descending device. A descending device can be as simple as like a lead head rigged upside down on the line where you hook the fish on that lead head and send it down, and then when you Get it down to depth, and the weight comes off of the line from your sinker; it just gets off. Um, but I have to tell you, the best def- descending device that I have found, as far as ease of use, is really the sequalizer. There are a number of different ones. The Sheltons is a good one, but that sequalizer is a simple one. You clip the fish on; it stays clipped on. There's no um, uh, special complex, or it's actually. <laughs> coordinated uh exercise in releasing the thing so it doesn't fall off the thing as you put it into the water it just stays on there clipped on and then when it gets down to depth it automatically opens because the water pressure keys it to so no no kidding yeah it's a great device they're a little bit spendy probably want to put it on a different line than your main line the advantage to the sheltons is you can put it right in line with your fishing hooks but the disadvantage is is a little bit it takes a little bit more skill to work it well and not have your fish fall off when you put it into the water.
2: So, Stan, I I really like the Sequelizer. It's super easy to use. Um, I believe uh, it
3: opens at 50 and at 100. So they make two different types. One has a max depth of 150 feet to the release depth and has, I believe, they're Uh, graded in in 50-foot intervals. So if you're fishing freshwater, you can set it to 50 feet. Say you're only fishing in 60 feet of water, right? you got a bass with bug eyes. You can set it to 50 feet if you want or 100 feet or 150. But we found that 150 is often not enough to get some of those bigger fish that need to go back down. Um, So they make a 300-footer with steps at 100 feet, 200 feet, and 300 feet. So if you're fishing in 400 feet, you just set it to the 300-foot level and send that fish down.
1: Wow, that's pretty amazing. You know, get the technology that we have is pretty amazing today. You can even do that. Go ahead, Win.
2: Yeah, you know, it's super easy to use. The, the, the part I find that's difficult is people making the time to, to use it. And it's really important to get – the passengers to be able to do it. You can't really rely on the crew to do it because there are, they are, you know, helping other passengers. And maybe there's only five crew members on the boat. And I think, I think the, the angler should be responsible for def- descending their own fish. You know, I, I, when I go on a long range trip and I know we're going to do some rock fishing, I actually have a dedicated rod to descend my fish.
1: Well, you know, that's a pretty smart thing to have. And if that's going to be the case going forward here, Uh, Are the sport boats going to have that equipment available, or is that going to be the responsibility of the angler?
3: So the sport boats do have that equipment available, and honestly, the boats that I've worked on, the crew does it all. They they just hustle around and manage to get it done. Um, but if it's it's going to work out better for an individual angler, I think the best thing to do as an individual angler is to use the Shelton's fish descender, which is that it's a nice. For first uh, hook that goes into your line, if you bust off on the bottom, it's only a few bucks, just like the sinker or whatever. Just like another piece of gear. It's not super expensive. But it also, will, and most importantly, with a little skill and practice, it allows you to be able to descend a fish as you're dropping your baits down. So you don't lose any fishing time. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So every yeah. descent device has its niche.
2: Yeah. And it's so important for us to be able to send those fish, you know, know,
1: especially you guys as commercial fishermen, you guys know also you guys uh, have your own business going where you'll you go out and commercial fish and then come back and sell your catch. And it's identifying each species that you want to catch to bring it back to the marketplace too. a lot of the people that go on these boats or they go out on their own boat and they just want to get out there and try it on their own. Don't know how to identify a lot of these different fish because a lot of them look alike, if you want to call it that. They're all red and they have red, you know, big eyes. Um, <laughs> that they're <laughs> looking at for the most part. So you know, that's that's going to be a complicated kind of mess in that arena. They've got to learn how to identify which ones they can keep and which ones they can't, and then which ones, if you've got the technology, to put back down.
2: You know, they can go to their local tackle store and they have a, a one page laminated page on both sides. And you, it shows all the different rockfishes, you know, some or you can have a book on on rockfish or a really good book is is by Milton Love.
3: What's it called, Merritt? Oh, certainly more than you want to know about the fishes of the Pacific coast. And we just call it the certainly more book. And then <laughs> another one, the rockfishes of the eastern Pacific. And if you really want to see each and every rockfish and know how they grow and all those kinds of things, that's the one to get. But most importantly, you know, that laminated sheet is probably the one to get. And and even more important than that is folks got to know there's a lot of advantage to going with a commercial charter boat because those guys are going to know. And you can just go fishing and they'll tell you, oh, you can keep that one. You can't keep this one or use a size limit on that one. Uh, you can probably keep that one, but we won't be able to get a legal fillet out of it for you. All those kinds of nuances if you're on your own boat you're never going to be able to track it all unless you make
1: it your profession well that's that is really the truth of it all you know and coming from a sport boat owner that's that's good advice for all you people that want to go if you want to catch table fare, that is some of the best table fare available but then you know trying to go on your own you better have a little knowledge you know when you come back to the dock a fishing game is there and they want to look at you catch it and cost you a bunch of money and and that at that point in time that that piece of machinery drop back down if you don't need them and uh, you're not going to eat them comes into play. And that's a cheap date at that point in time. But, you know, just having that aboard, especially the commercial guys, you know, the regular guys, the sport boats that go out, especially in the Channel Islands and, and uh, the areas where this is a target zone, that is a great thing to have, you know, and the knowledge that they have that ability to take that fish that you don't know what you're catching and put it back down and
2: get you out of trouble. Hey, and you know what? There's one more thing that we have to talk about too is when we can go fish for rockfish because the date has changed.
3: So that all the up season kicks off April 1 in Southern California. Once again, anglers got to look at the rest of the announcement, you know, the fish and game website to fish and wildlife website to see when their area actually opens up. There's five different zones Uh, for Southern California. You know, here where I'm used to. Point Conception is the line, so anything south of Point Conception. It's um, super key that f- folks know that you can do this fishing the same way I do mushroom hunting. And that is I only know one mushroom that I'm confident that I can identify. <laughs> and that's what I fish for. That's what I mushroom hunt for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's good because i wouldn't know which one is the mushroom and which is not if i went out there on my own i would want somebody to tell me how to do it myself so you know and i think you know if you can go to the tackle shop if you can go to you know if you have a a seafood purveyor someplace that you can go and go what's what or you go to the landings and if you're a private boater you would want to go and find out which what does this look like so i can catch it and where do i go i think asking questions ahead of time is a really good idea especially when you're going to go out into such situations like this where you really don't know what fish is what fish because they all look alike to a lot of different people you know but that's that's a lot of great information Merit. <laughs> and and as a sport boat owner you know the the landings do a really good job of taking care of their people that go out there.
3: Oh, absolutely. The clients, the guys, the anglers get out there and the, your crew will try to make sure that you are able to go out and fish and they want you to catch fish. So they'll keep you out of tangles and untangle your stuff so that you spend less time doing that and have more time with your line in the water.
1: You know, the other part is too, They'll the guys know where to go to keep you out of trouble And to catch more fish, which is really the most important thing in the whole thing. Merritt, you've been a wealth of information. And I can't thank you enough for being a part of one, our show tonight, and our industry and being such a a factor for the years that you've been involved. But it looks like we're going to have to be coming up on a break here real quick. But can't thank you enough for being involved with with our show tonight and uh, the information that you've been giving us.
3: Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And now I'm back to work, writing up for Western Outdoor News.
1: Well, keep up the good work, buddy, and we'll be in touch. I know in in the future we're probably going to have more questions. We'll get back in touch. All right? Absolutely. All right. Looks like, I think, when we got to take another break and pay for the show. So, yep. (laughs) We better take the break, pay for the show. We'll be back with more Rod and Rail Radio right after these messages. How's that?
4: Hi, I'm Pat McDonald here to tell you that the Hall Shows are back. Bart Hall Shows February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds and March 29th through April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Share the passion of outdoor recreation as we celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows family fun.
11: Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a little set back with what charter company to choose? We urge you to use American and family-owned Lands and Charters. Lands and Charters offers their passengers affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. Fish with the latest of fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a long-time-owned family business. Go to lensandcharters.com to see all of their vessels and amenities available. Call Cabo Greg or Jenny at 800-281-5778 when you're ready for an action-packed Cabo fishing experience.
10: Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419. Or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Run
11: Real Radio is brought to you by BajaBound.com Insurance Services. Are you driving to Mexico? You can buy and print out your Mexican auto insurance policy online in the convenience of your own home or office in minutes. Now with BajaBound.com's easy-to-use website. After printing your auto insurance, check out the BajaBound.com site. There, too, you will find great travel tips and information to help you get the most out of your next road trip south of the border. So this is an important fact to remember. Use BajaBound.com. It's the easiest way to find and get Mexican auto insurance.
0: If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top-angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their products. Catch what you've been missing.
4: Quality guaranteed. Rod and Real Radio is now available as a podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available. Or go back and listen to our past shows. Browse through all of our archive shows at rodandrealradio.com archives and click the subscribe button to get started listening now.
5: We are
1: back with Rockville Radio, and we've been listening to uh, Merritt McRae tell us about what the rockfish regulations are and what we can and can't do in that venue. Uh, going forward, we're going to learn what uh, an organization called the Coastal Conservation Association of California and what they've been doing to keep us fishing in California. And our fearless leader is a gentleman named Wayne Coteau and Wayne, welcome to Rod and Red Radio again. I know you've got Merritt is involved as a director uh, on the Board of Directors. Wendy and I are also to try to keep uh, us going and help in any way, shape, or form. But welcome to Rod and Red Radio and tell us what we need to know about going forward uh, and the regulations that we need to help work out and change for California fishing.
12: Good evening, Stan and Wendy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, right now, the biggest issue that we're going to run into is the NPA Decadal Review and the 30 by 30 issue. <clears throat> to to uh, refresh everybody's memory, the NPA Decadal Review is the 10-year review of the MPAs that are out there that have uh, restricted our fishing opportunities along our coastline and state waters. 30 by 30 is an executive order that the governor of our state of California uh, issued and that we're in the middle of uh, implementing with that is is trying to conserve 30% of land and water in California by 2030. On the land side, they're already into execution of that by trying to figure out what is conserved or uh, meets the conservation standards. But on the water side for the ocean, uh, they've been waiting for this review to come out first and see where it lands, and it just got published this week. So we're moving forward with that. And the MPA Decadal Review actually wasn't as bad as we had thought it was going to be uh, coming out of the gate. It was actually fairly fair talking about adaptive management changes into individual NPAs uh, and the MPA network are evident. And, and anything with the NPA network needs to be evidence-based. They want to simplify designations uh, within the MPA network because there's just so many of them. And they're confusing to the individuals. They want to return some fishing opportunities where fishing previously had been open. So they're they're being uh, open to the idea of returning uh, our fishing opportunities, which is awesome. Uh, they're you know about wow. allowing take of migratory or pelagic species within certain NPA's that currently do not allow it. They may you know uh, allow boat operations within a hundred yards, uh, of, or they're going to try to prevent boat operations within a hundred yards. Uh, certain calp areas uh, to help out with those calp areas. And then there's other requests that are going to come through to change uh, some of the lines to make it a little bit easier, or as we find uh, certain areas that didn't necessarily need to be uh, certified, because there wasn't all that much of a requirement within those areas for, as far as biodiversity or habitat, that they thought originally, for the reason so they-, they originally said they were going to shut them down. So oh, all good but- news on that front. But the precursor, then, then it opens up the conversation of how are we going to get, from what they've said, is only 16% of MPA set aside currently to the 30% by 2030. The nice part is this MPA review opened the door for us to have other conversations about adding areas like national sanctuaries, essential fish habitat that we already do, and other areas that we believe meet the requirement for the 30%. So it opened the door for us. So good news there. Wayne, uh, but we all need to be very vigilant in, in
1: this process. Wayne, can you explain what an MPA is? Because a lot of people don't understand what the MPAs are and, and 10 years ago what they did. So do it a little pr- prior what what that meant and what happened and then coming forward what we're, we're getting into now, which is opening the door for success for us, actually. But explain what that meant.
12: An MPA is a Marine Protected Area... In the state of California, there are different designations of uh, protected areas. There's 124 of them that along our coastline that equals 16% of our total coastline. Uh, and what they did was they grabbed some of the best fishing areas uh, along our coastline. So, you know, we have a lot of rocky habitat that has structure and habitat for fish and uh, uh, invertebrates. And then you have areas of complete sand, They didn't go after the sandy areas. They went after all of the habitat areas. So the NPAs have been around uh, for 10 years, uh, and there's, you know, they went in zones uh, as they were being implemented. And then now we've been doing uh, studies along those inside and outside to see if they actually meet or met all of those uh, goals that they had originally set for those uh, areas as far as habitat, uh, uh biodiversity, uh, recruitment and other things within them. And, and, you know, it's not a perfect science. None of it is. Uh, and then you got to watch what Mother Nature does because Mother Nature can be a pain. Uh, warm water blob and then El Nino cycle to a La Nina cycle. All these things have an effect on what's going to happen along our inshore. Um, so I think that's a pretty good background now. We, so, as fishermen and anglers this, out there, we get kind of a bum rap sometimes, and they keep saying that we're the, the problem, we're overfishing, we're doing all these things, but we really aren't. We're not the enemy on this whole uh, event or cause. We're actually solution oriented. We are. We believe in clean water, clean habitat, sustainable outdoor recreation, responsible outdoor recreation. We believe. In all those things that they want, and then some. And we put our money where our mouth is, our licensing fees, all the payments, all the things that we do towards fisheries management, habitat management, hatchery programs, uh, all those things. We want clean water. We don't want the sewer runoff. We don't want microplastics, you know, all those kinds of things, you know. But you know, we get thrown under the bus that we're the ones killing off all the fishing po- uh, fish populations along our coastline, and that's absolutely not true.
2: Hey, Wayne. You know, um, the most thing I hear from people, um, you know, when I'm out there, uh, doing my job, um, is they really wanted to have, and we did try, United Anglers did try to have slot limits and to have maybe rotating MPAs. But also a lot of the recreational anglers out there are so mad and they're of the thought that once an area is closed, it will always be closed. And they're going to be on a wait and see and see if they really do do adaptive management and change some of these places that were close to us and if we can reopen it. And, you know, and that's
12: Absolutely. Absolutely. how they feel. I, the, fishermen, the fishermen were mad. They, they put their tail between the legs. They've been sitting on the sidelines, uh, Crouchy <laughs> and upset, and, and rightly so, but it takes people in groups like CCA to keep working at these things, and SAC, and all of the other groups that are still at the table, having the conversations, working with the science teams, working with the uh, analysis. You have to be at the table or you're not part of the conversation, and that's what's important here. We have to be involved in the MPA collaborative network, the CCFRP tagging studies. We have to be working at at the fishing uh, game commission level, Department of Fish and Wildlife, National Resource Agency. We need to keep working at this because we have to show them that we are solution oriented, that we do believe in all of this stuff, and that they gotta quit throwing us under the bus. It's very important. If you're just going to go nope. away and, and, and not go play nice in the play box, then all these things are just going to keep happening, right?
1: Well, you know, for the first round, there was no science involved. There was just closures, and this is, they were blaming everything on us, which was completely false. Have the, has the science come back in on the decisions that are going to be made this next round?
12: Well, that's what we're working on, right? This whole decade of review we've been watching it. we've been participating in the science going into it all along every year. there's been summaries uh uh and uh presentations done that we stayed involved in, commented on to ask them to correct misinformation that they were or missed, um analysis of of uh, situations, trying to fix some of the science uh, methodology. Mike spilled over uh sir. Sure. There's a lot of pieces in this and we have to have the anglers and the people who know the captains and the sport boats and the people that do this work, right? It just it takes a, it takes an army to keep working at this. If we don't do it, then it's our fault for not staying involved.
2: So this decadal review is going to be in Monterey and it's coming up pretty soon. Would you suggest that recreational anglers and um and organizations go to this meeting?
12: My suggestion first is that if you want to read the documents and start understanding what is going on and how and why, so the, the MPA Decatur Review is on the CDFW website. Uh, it's been published. Uh, you can also probably find a link on the uh, CCA Cal website, our Facebook page. You can look at my Facebook page. I, I put a link to it. Um, And it's getting out there. People need to do their homework. There's a very part of the almost the first half of that document is actually all of the review and the history of the MPAs and all of that. And then it kind of goes into the the studies, the enforcement, and all the other little components that make up the whole MPA program. And people need to review that and then look at the appendix of their their, – suggestions of things that can happen going forward. They're not the decision makers. CDFW compiled everything, but they're not the decision makers. Your fish and game commission, uh, commissioners are the decision makers going forward.
1: You know, that that's, at least it's a positive. There, There's a little positive input coming out here that they're, they're willing to listen a little bit, you know, where they weren't listening before. And then, you know, it, there was no science, and now we're, there's, the science is in, and it sounds like, you know, we have a, a little shot at maybe getting some of this back where, you know, and I have no idea why they couldn't open some of the areas to just catch and release. The guys that like the calico fish and whatever else, um, they don't eat those fish. Anyhow, a lot of the guys just go out there and catch and release those fish just for fun and the sport of it anyhow, but, you know, a, not, a lot of that was just thrown out, and they never even
12: listened yeah, the hard part is if you look at it from and you put, put different hats on as you think through these uh, issues and solutions that we want to propose, you have to look at it from a law enforcement standpoint of how do you regulate that? How do you manage if somebody's in there and fishing, how do you know what they're catching, what they're releasing and all that? Because there's only so much manpower. So okay. you know, if they'd rather an area be shut down and say no fishing in there or no you know, only boat traffic going through, transacting, those kinds of things because it's generically easier to manage. That that's the reason. Now, I'm not always for that. I think that's their job like anything else, you know, that's whatever regulations that make sense and are right for the situation is more important and then figure out how you're going to enforce it, you know? Um, but, you know, that's, that's again, our job is to come up and try to find the opportunities, try to work solutions and then sell that and get that, you know, in play. So we're going to be looking to areas that we believe should be open. There's areas that, you know, if you look at it probably shouldn't be open because there's just so much traffic and, and they are actually, working in those areas of high traffic but then as you go north let's say uh central and northern california there's less traffic out there in some of those mpas do are they necessary not necessarily because they don't have the pressure and so you don't see the difference between an inside and outside uh biodiversity or or, uh, sizes or all that all the recruitment it's pretty much it's very similar because there's no pressure um, hey. Jakey, uh, so Wayne,
1: we're gonna we we're coming up on a break here. Can you uh, stay with us for the next segment here, and and we can ask more questions and get more answers?
12: Absolutely,
1: <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to take another break here for Run Radio. We'll be back with more about what's happening in California with the closures, and maybe get them reopened right after this commercial break.
4: I'm Pat McDonald and I've got some great news. The Hall Family Shows are back. The Bart Hall Show, February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds is San Diego's biggest fishing show, its biggest boat show, its biggest outdoor recreation event in four years. Acres of fishing tackle, boats, fishing and hunting travel and outdoor adventure. Come celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows with a full day of family fun. The Bart Hall Show, February 16th
6: through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one fishing, hunting, and shooting sports retailer, now has 28 locations. Turner's is your one-stop shop for fishing tackle, hunting gear, and everything for shooting sports. Turner's offers a full selection and unmatched prices on the gear you need. Whether you're planning a fishing trip with the family or chasing giant tuna, Turner's highly skilled staff will make sure you have the gear for your next adventure. Visit turners.com to find a Turner store near you and be sure to join the Turner's Discount Club to get weekly ads and specials right to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman, your one-stop shop for all your fishing needs.
7: Since being established in 2015, CCA has achieved great success for the entire sport fishing industry in the fight for our right to fish here in California. 2021 brought us plenty of success, but every year brings new battles and we need your help. One of the best ways to help support CCA Cal is to join us and become a member because strength is certainly in our numbers. Become a member today by logging on to joincca.org. Membership starts at $35 per year, and that is one of the best ways to help us while you go fishing.
5: Hi, Roland Martin here. I'd like to tell you a little about Gary Yamamoto and the Gary Yamamoto custom Bait Company. It all started with an idea. Then a dream, and in 1983, the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait Company was formed. If you know Gary Yamamoto like I do, and I've known him since 1983, you know he has a passionate love for the sport of fishing. That love is only matched by his obsession to design and produce the highest quality soft plastic fishing lures on the market today. Every bait Gary makes is inspected by hand. Today, more than 2.5 million packages of bait are shipped worldwide. On behalf of Gary and his staff, he wants to thank his customers, for thinking so highly of his products and wishing you the great success at the sport of fishing. Whether you fish for fun, or fish at tournament circuits like I do, you'll honor Gary for making Gary Yamamoto Custom Baits a key part of your fishing experience. Take it for me, Roland Martin. When I'm in need of a go-to bait, my first choice is a Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait.
1: Hey, bass fishermen. Who do you call for your bass boat insurance? And if you're not calling me at one 800 bass boat For your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the Bass Boat Program. It is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, 7262, or just spell Bass Boat. 1 800 Bass Boat. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1 800 Bass Boat, the choice of the pros for Bass Boat Insurance. For more information, log on to 1 800BassBoat.com.
8: Hi, this is Lori Heath. You may know me from some of the sports boats out of San Diego. I want to talk to you about something that's really close to my heart the San Diego Blood Bank. Fishing for a way to make a difference in your community? Consider donating blood or making a financial donation to the San Diego Blood Bank. Your gift will impact medical research, revolutionize how we improve health and treat disease, and most importantly, give the gift of life. But we can't do it without you or without your help. Visit SanDiegoBloodBank.org to make an appointment or to give a financial donation today. It's the best way to give back. And just to let you know, I'm also a blood donor. The warm weather is here and our lakes and
2: rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life
7: jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways.
3: We are
1: we're on the radio. We are currently talking with Wayne Coteau of Of the Coastal Conservation Association of California, the guys that keep fighting to keep California fishing, and uh, it's a constant battle here for the last little bit. But uh, Wayne and I'm on the board. uh, On the board, Wendy's on the board uh, of the Coastal California Association. Here, we're trying to find out what is going to happen here going forward in California. What we can do to maybe. Change the rules and work with the people that are making the rules so that we can fish in areas we haven't been able to fish in and maybe open some new areas up. So, Wayne, um, you were talking about, you know, the upcoming season here and what we're going to maybe be able to fish. Is this going to open up for the sport boats and the uh, the guys that are just boat owners that are going to be able to go fish the, our local
12: areas? Uh, nothing, no decision is going to be made this current year. So, uh, you know, you had Merritt on earlier about the ground fish regulation changes. There are, there's a ton of things going on, uh, constantly. There's, you know, the new bag limit on sheep's head, you know, and what Merritt didn't, didn't talk about was that the reason why we're in this situation on sheep's head is because it's one of the oldest uh, fisheries management plans we have and it's using data from back in the 80s and 90s. That, fisheries management plan drastically needs to be updated, but we have to talk to the department because they keep claiming they do not have the staff to do it. But yet we're being held accountable to numbers that are absolutely unrealistic right now. So what are we asking for? We need the help of the anglers, one, to stay involved, to join CCA because we're a grassroots effort. And if you want to keep informed and understand and help us, we need you as members. We need active members that are going to help us go to meetings and talk and be uh, our voices, our ears, and everything, right? And then there's our fundraising efforts within CCA because it's expensive to run these programs, to have lobbyists, and to go up to Sacramento or or to Washington, D.C. We have all of our local chapters, whether it's San Diego, Orange County, two L.A. chapters, uh, Ventura, Oxnard area, and uh, Santa Barbara, Inland Empire, Kern County. We have all of these chapters that all do events, banquets every year. They do no-member charters. They they try to have fun. We need people to go to our website, our Facebook page, and uh, engage with us, join us. You know, it, And if you're coming to the shows, I don't care if it's one of the new Bart Hall shows. The uh, Central Valley Show in Bakersfield, the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Show—you name it—we're at all the events, right? Next week, we're going—I'm going to be up in Sacramento, so we're at all the shows, all the consumer shows. We have our special package. Come out and join us. Join uh, outside, get in the, the show. You get your uh, membership. You get a ticket to the show. You get a goodie bag. Sixty dollars. We're going to probably give you somewhere around a hundred dollars worth of goodies in the bag alone. So why wouldn't you do this, right?
2: Absolutely. And you know
12: what we need is we need help. Here's something that happened that most people do not know. The Department of Fish and Wildlife stopped printing regulation books. They said they needed to save money. This is how they're going to do it. That right there is why people do not know what's going on, because they don't know where to get the information, Yes, it is up on their website. You can go and find the regs, but that means you have to download them, read them, and print them, right? Or keep them on your phone and keep scrolling to find things.
2: Right. I and, you really know, believe
12: we need to have the reg books printed again, especially look at how complex the ground fish changes are. That you is know what, so important that we need to be able to get that information out to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are and that Wayne, by only having it up electronically it's bad.
2: Wayne, but would it be um easier to use and to find once 2024 comes around and they have the um they we have the app with CDFW?
12: Yes and no. Here's here's where the rub comes in. What if you don't have your phone? Or what if you're low-income or you're a senior citizen, then you do not do all of this electronics? What are they supposed to do? The whole point is that everybody should have equal access to the information.
8: Absolutely. And that's a
12: problem. So Absolutely. it's a double-edged sword. And I believe that ha- printing the books is still very important because we're not there yet. Yes, we are building an, uh, an application for the 12-month fishing license, and we're going to try to build in other things into that app over time. But it's not here yet. So they were very premature in stopping the printing of the books, I believe.
1: Well, I do, too, because that was something you could pick up every year to find out what's new and what what was positive, what was negative, what you could do, what you couldn't do, if the limit has changed on this or that, where you could fish and where you couldn't. Even if, if it defined for the offshore anglers, it was really tough to try to figure out where these – these areas where you could not go or you could not get into or you couldn't fish because it was all rock and you can't fish there, but you could only go to the sand, um, which was pretty stupid. But, you know, we all had to deal with that. But right now, not knowing anything is almost criminal, and it it's going to make the, you know, you – the poor guy that goes out there and go well, I don't know, where do you find it? Oh, you have to go on the Internet. Well, where? And then you have to download all this information, and where do you find it in that information? That's really not an easy task. It's almost entrapment. Um, for, for us going forward as fishermen, though, I mean, we're all – a lot of us are involved in the industry, especially, to open these things up, get more people involved, get more information out to the public – and help try to change it back to where we know where we can go and what we can fish for and have it really work within the science of the fisheries department, which, unfortunately, has been shrinking.
12: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's baby steps right now. Uh, Wendy, before the break, you know, asked me a question about uh, should the, the the anglers go up to this meeting that's going to happen in Monterey in March? What that is, it's, it's the first round of the Department, uh, the Fishing Game Commission and Marine Resource Committee, uh, talking to the public about this MPA Decadal Review. There's going to be a lot of people there. You have to register to go in. They're going to have a, a seminar, or a, a seminar, and then they're going to have a panel discussion, and they'll do a bunch of Q and A. Yes, I think it's important for anglers to go and voice opinions. I don't think it's one where it's you know, yelling and screaming and you're right, I'm wrong. It's not like that. I, I believe in a lot of these cases, it's about understanding the situation and and trying to find proper solutions to how we're going to get to the next level. There's a lot of recommendations in this Decadal Review. Some good, some bad, right? The adaptive management, the opening, the, actually the printing of the reg books is actually one of the recommendations. Um, but there's all these recommendations and we need to understand which ones we can handle, which ones we can't, and how all of this is now going to impact the next level of 30 by 30. It'll be great to say, let's open some of these MPAs up to fishing, but will that harm them qualifying them uh, towards the 30%? And if we keep, if we start losing some of that percentage because of it, then we'll have to make that up somewhere to hit the 30%. How do we do that? And we need everybody's help. Oh, there's nobody's you know, got all the solutions in their head yet. That's why we're having all of these meetings and we're bringing all these people together. How do you get to that 30% realistically and fairly without impacting all of the fishing along the inshore in, in the state waters? Uh, and that's what we're trying to uh, navigate right now as as organization, as an industry, um, you know, all of us, whether that is the fact with Kenny Frank, Ken Frankie's group, us, uh, Coastside up north, uh, Golden State, you know, Salmon Associate, you name it. We are all working together on this project.
1: You know, even with that going forward, there's things that are people that don't even know of that are going out, like putting windmills on the ocean and areas, and closing down monumental <laughs> yeah. amounts of of. <laughs>
12: Yeah, that's a whole, a whole other and hour right there. On top of that, I mean, <laughs> we have, there's so we much have going a on. huge proposal for wind farms off the coast of California. It could be up to a thousand uh, floating platforms. They're going to be eight hundred feet to in the air because there's going to be the new super-sized uh, ones. Um, and they're going to be floating platforms right now, somewhere around twenty-three to twenty-six miles offshore from central coast to northern uh, California. Uh, so, shouldn't the, that count? The first proposals. The first leases are being sold right now. There's a whole lot to go with that, you know. And we're finding that issue along with the Chumash National Sanctuary, Sanctuary Proposal, which will go from the base of the Monterey National Sanctuary all the way down to, to uh, Santa Barbara. So, you know, why, if, they, if we can qualify the National Sanctuary, 50% of the coast will be covered. So,
2: why can't the windmills you know, win, count? Win right
12: there, too. And that's another project we're working on.
2: Wayne, why can't those so. windmills count towards 30 by 30? I'm sorry. What? Why can't those windmills count towards thirty by thirty? That's going to take up a because huge that's, area. That's,
12: they're, they're in federal waters. They're not in state waters. Oh, okay. The thirty percent has to be within state waters, and and they couldn't. They would never be able to put these in their own state waters because of all of the regulations that they and restrictions they had in place. So when Jerry Brown was uh, the governor, he already had started this process with the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management uh, to put them into the federal waters.
2: Wow, well, you know what, Wayne? Yeah. There's much for us to talk about, but we've run out of time, and we're gonna have to uh, um say goodbye, but we would love to have you on again soon, so um we can find out and hear more about what's going on with Coastal Conservation Association and um, our government.
12: Absolutely. So please, please uh, go to our website, ccacalifornia.org, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. We do podcasts every week, and we put those up to keep people informed and a little entertainment. Uh, come to our events. Join one of our chapters, San Diego chapter down here. meets once a, once a month over at the Marlin Club. We have L.A. South, L.A. North, Orange County. All of these chapter uh, boards meet once a month. Uh, Inland Empire, uh, Kern County, Santa Barbara, uh, Ventura, uh, Channel Islands. So yeah, help help us to help you to save our fisheries. That that released the message, and it's going to take all of us working together. Uh, we need to be part of the conversation. We need to be solution oriented, uh, and we all need to just keep our, our ears and uh, you know our focus on on the goals. So appreciate the time.
2: Thank you very much, Wayne, and we'll talk to you soon.
12: Okay, thanks.
2: Thank you.
1: Important stuff there to be involved with our sport, you know, join the CCA and try to make a difference in whether we're going to be able to fish in California. That's an important deal. I think we're going to change channels now. We're going to go to something that's more entertaining than what's closed. We're going to find out what's open to you for winter, spring, summer, or fall. It's trout fishing, and uh, we're in the process of trying to get a hold of of the guys that can tell you where to go, what to throw, where to go. One of our favorite places, I know Wendy and I, uh, our fav- one of my favorite places in the Sierras, if you're going to go trout fishing, is Crowley. How about you, Wendy?
2: Well, you know darn well that for Crowley, what that means to me is Sacramento Perch. Screw the trout.
1: <laughs> well, you know, and that's a fishery a lot of people don't even understand. The Sacramento Perch is kind of like a crappie, and... uh they they got involved in the fishery at lake crowley which is uh just above bishop there at the top of the hill it's a big lake with no trees around it people go i don't want to fish there and that's okay by me because it's one of the best fisheries in in our state for both trout and the that sacramento perch but we've got a guy on with us that is my i'm a fan club of this man uh the he's the Right now runs Sierra Drifters, and for many, many years, the trout fishing, if you're going to go up to the Sierras and you want to catch trout, you can go up there and uh, get a hold of one of the Sierra Drifters and get in to go fishing at Crowley Lake. But there's uh, many other areas up there that are involved, so we've got Mr. Doug Rodericks on with us from Sierra Drifters. Drifters, welcome, Doug, to Rod and Rio Radio. And as, my, as a fan club member, <laughs> you've been doing a great job up there in the Sierras.
9: Well, thank you very much, Stan, for having me back. Um, is the audio okay on your end?
1: Yeah, we hear you loud and clear, buddy. So you're the one guy that can take people fishing winters, spring, summer, and fall. But why don't we walk through what you can do as Sierra Drifters and the areas that you fish and what we can expect.
9: Yeah, absolutely. So we fish from in the eastern Sierra, basically from Bishop all the way to Bridgeport. So we've got, uh, you know, and I'll kind of name the waters down there. So we have the Lower Owens River that comes out of Crowley Lake and runs through Bishop and then, you know, down down to L.A. for their water source. But right around the Bishop area is really good trout fishing, browns and rainbows. Um, there, there's a mix of hatchery and wild trout down there. Um, and that area can be fished by drift boat where we row people down the river to fly fish the different sections and then also walk and wade fishing up by pleasant valley reservoir and the wild trout section which can be really good um and then moving up the line you know next wait a minute let's let's talk
1: about let's ask a question here about that you're t- they're talking yeah. about drift boat fishing behind bishop there's the owens river comes down through there and it's very mostly very calm water you know a lot of snaking through the flatlands down there and and the fishery is it can be great i know my wife and i have caught. i got my biggest fish on a fly that i got a picture of um with tom low down there on the on the lower Owens there, but that's a fishery a lot of people don't even know about, and you can do that in the midwinter. I mean, I think I went in January, so that's an area and a fishery that people don't know about that is an opportunity you guys give.
9: Yeah, that's true, and, you know, the best time to fish that river is actually in the winter because the flows are usually typically low, um, good for walking and wading and also drift boating, um, you know, once we get into the spring and summer months, they, they tend to ramp the flows up, and then it gets a little too high, not only for fly fishing, but even if you're a spin rod guy, it becomes a, you know, a very, very fast and high river. Um, this year is going to be an exceptionally high flow coming this summer. Um, it's probably going to equal the winter of 2017, um, which was our biggest winter since uh, since this one here. And that's going to, you know, the flows went up to 1,100 cubic feet per second, and they had to put, the, um, the Department of Water and Power had to put up swift water signs to keep people out and let them know about the danger of the fast water. Um, when, when we drift it in the winter, it's typically anywhere from, you know, 100 to 250 cubic feet per second, so that gives you an idea of what a jump um you know, takes place. You know, in the spring and in summertime.
1: Are you uh, open for that at this point in time? Coming forward for the next few months, are you open? Have you got openings for people to come up and try that style of fishing?
9: We do. We do have openings. Uh, you know, usually this month and all the way through April. You know, and sometimes even into into May. Um, at this moment, with all the snow and rain we've been getting for California it's not a good time uh, just because there is some swelling and runoff and saturation of the ground that's been seeping into the river and and made it off colored and and raised it up running a little bit higher. But that, uh, you know, once these storms start to settle and get a little further, you know, apart, not one after another, it'll, it'll clear up pretty nice. And, you know, fishing should, should get back to being good again there.
1: You know, that's a, an opportunity that's a lot of fun a lot of people don't know about um and you don't have to be an expert fly fisherman to do this it was just one of those things where you know i decided hey need to fly this and i ended up getting a fish we didn't have a, a scale or i got pictures of it but we guessed it to be over 10 pounds or, or at least that big on a buck rainbow and I, I had a hen and my wife got about a six pound buck with a kite over the nose and Beautiful fish. I mean, we got lucky and got a couple of big ones out of there, but that's not uncommon.
2: Well, you know no,
9: what? No, uh... no, I, I, I do remember those photos. Uh, of seeing those fish, those were really nice fish you guys got. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's large model fish in there. You know, over twenty inches. There, we even caught some browns over twenty inches. Believe it or not, but typically those browns tend wow. to be the more wild, natural ones, which which run a little smaller. But most of the bigger fish we get over twenty inches are definitely rainbows and um you know, and then and then we get our have our mix of uh, different sized rainbow trout as well, you know, anywhere from, you know, ten up to twenty plus inches, you know, and everything in between. So it's a yeah, it's really it's really good good place, you know, definitely you can get a trophy trophy fish out of there and um like you said, you never know uh, what you're gonna get, you know, until you're out there fishing it. Well, you, you know don't. and that's Go ahead, Wen.
2: You know what's so cool is I don't know how to fly fish, but I went um, to Crawley and stayed across the street with uh, my friend Lori Mueller um, in her trailer, and we, we camped out. And <clears throat> we used Devin Preston, and, and he was our guide, and I had no clue on how to fly fish, how to cast, but, you know, you don't have to know. You guys, you know, oh. are, are there to teach us how to do it.
9: Yeah, yeah. Who who is this? I'm sorry, I didn't I this is wasn't Wendy. sure who else is on the show. Oh hi, Wendy?
2: I'm Wendy, Tokyhara, I'm the other co host.
9: Oh okay. Hey, Wendy. Nice to meet nice to meet you. Yeah, I remember, you know, I was fishing uh out I was out that day and I remember you guys shooting and hollering and dancing around the boat when you <laughs> caught a fish. So uh yeah, it looked like uh you guys had a really good time and yeah, that's that's the, the beauty of it. You know, you don't have to know how to do it and you know, we show you how, how you guys <clears throat> i can get out there and you know not not even have held a fly rod before and uh you know turned into fly fishermen and you know such little time
2: yeah it's, it's, a, it's a blast it's so much fun
9: it is a ton of fun you know i sat
1: there with the uh, when we got under the float boat and and you you spend the day on calm water you know it's not a roaring river uh, you'll go down to areas where there's curves and drops and pools and whatever else and fish that for a few make sure you efficiently get get through those areas you catch a lot of fish by the way usually you catch a bunch not always big but lots of and it's fun and you'll learn how to fish a particular style of fishing i mean i had to learn uh, you know one way is on the lake we when you get on that that body of water at the the river down below long strokes with a with a punk perch or whatever else you're some kind of a, of a imitation that would be a small minnow fish or whatever it is that you're fishing each one of those styles is is different and a ton of fun to learn and and it's not like it's rocket science you know you can do this my wife absolutely loves this fly fishing thing she got involved with it and i've had the you know now she's got a, a plethora of fly rods and reels and she's involved with the sport up to her eyes and she she is actually really good at it and uh, last time I was on the water at Crowley with her <laughs> I, uh, she caught all the big ones I just sat there and watched so you know it's just a great sport and, uh, and you guys do such a really good job you know when you you transfer off that the float boats down at the bottom of the river and go up to the lake your season's for the float trips, or from when to when, and then when do you the the lake starts when the uh, the trout fishing season opens in this year Is what is the end of April?
9: Yeah, yeah, the last Saturday in April is when we we start the the lake fishing. One one more thing before we leave the streamer fishing on the Owen. So the the technique we use is called streamer fishing with a fly rod. We use a sinking tip line, so twenty four foot of sinking line on your fly line. So that sinks, and we use a method called the dip-and-strip method. And stripping in fly fishing means pretty much retrieving the line in in small sections by hand. So instead of using the reel, you're actually pulling um, six-inch lengths of line through your fingers and retrieving the line and the fly back to the boat or back to your rod tip, um, and it's a really fun way to fish. You know, it's uh, I kind of think of it as the equivalent of, of lure fishing. You know, if you're using a spin rod, um, you know, you're imparting an action, you know, to the fly like you would a lure. And when the fish grab it, it's really exciting because you can feel the line come tight. You actually feel the strike. And, uh, you know, you do a couple more strips to get that fish on and have them on, and it's just a blast for, for anybody who's uh, done it for long enough or even people that are just doing it for the first time you know
1: it's tons of fun we you know we got to take a break here and pay for the uh the video time here can you stay on board with us for the next segment here buddy
12: oh sure all
1: right we're going to take a break here we're going to come back with more of how to catch trout in the series year round with doug roderick's after these commercial messages
4: Hi, I'm Pat McDonald here to tell you that the Hall Shows are back. Bart Hall Shows, February 16th through the 19th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds and March 29th through April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Share the passion of outdoor recreation as we celebrate 75 years of Hall Shows family fun.
11: Hi, this is John, and I'd like to invite you to the new Angler's Arsenal location in Lakeside, California. We've put together a staff of experts that'll help you find the tackle and gear you need at a price you can afford. We carry all major brands, and if you need custom work done, we can do that for you with both rods and reels. How about servicing your old equipment? No problem, we can do it quickly, easily, at a price you can afford. We also do custom hand poured plastics through Western Plastics. Design the lure of your dreams and catch the fish that have been getting away. So come and visit us in Lakeside. We're at 12255 Woodside Avenue. Or you can visit us at anglersarsenal.com. If you need to call us, we're at 619-466-8355. See you there. Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a little set back with what charter company to choose? We urge you to use American and family-owned Lands and Charters. Lands and Charters offers their passengers affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. Fish with the latest of fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a long-time-owned family business. Go to lensandcharters.com to see all of their vessels and amenities available. Call Cabo Greg or Jenny at 800-281-5778 when you're ready for an action-packed Cabo fishing experience.
10: Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Run
11: Real Radio is brought to you by BajaBound.com Insurance Services. Are you driving to Mexico? You can buy and print out your Mexican auto insurance policy online in the convenience of your own home or office in minutes. Now with BajaBound.com's easy-to-use website. After printing your auto insurance, check out the BajaBound.com site. There, too, you will find great travel tips and information to help you get the most out of your next road trip south of the border. So this is an important fact to remember. Use BajaBound.com. It's the easiest way to find and get Mexican auto insurance.
3: We are back
1: with more Rail Radio. We are talking about trout fishing year-round with the Mr. Doug Rodericks of Sierra Drifters, and we've been fishing around the bottom end of of outside of Bishop and how they've catch fish in a drift boat on the quiet river of the Owens right behind Bishop there. But, uh, Doug, we were talking about the different bugs that they use. You use a, you called it a different style of fishing where you're stripping uh, a minnow-style bait in, in the river down there. And then you also do a lot of fishing on Crowley when the season opens with a whole different style of fishing.
9: Yes. So Crowley is, um, you know, what we we refer to as the gem of the Eastern Sierra. And it has three species of trout in there, rainbow, brown, and cutthroat. Now, a little on Crowley in how it's different from your other lakes in the Eastern Sierra where trout are planted, um, we refer to those fisheries as put-and-take fisheries, where um, you know they get stocked and they get you know fished over over the weekends and during the week in the course of the summer months and fall months, and and um, you know there's not a lot of fish left that actually go into the creeks and reproduce on their own um, and and have a very big Large wild trout population. There is there is some, um, and the growing seasons in those higher elevation lakes are usually shorter for the fish because once there's ice on the lake and it freezes, the fish go down to the bottom, and there's not a whole lot of food to choose from during that time. So they're you know they're pretty uh, <clears throat> pretty much uh, at the mercy of, of winter then, and you know what what they got to forage on during the summer months and the warm warm season. Now, on Crowley, being a lower elevation lake, it's not going to freeze over as fast. It's a larger body of water. Um, it's very shallow and uh, has a high alkalinity to it. Uh, but the main draw to Crowley is the large trout and the trophy trout, you know, and the plentiful amount of them that are in there. And, you know, the way the Crowley's managed is great because they'll they'll actually stock a lot of, Hatchery trout, you know, that are about hand size or smaller, by the hundreds of thousands. And once those fish get into the lake, they have the remainder of the season to grow. And a lot of these fish will actually grow four to six inches a year if the conditions are right, which you won't find in, on you know most any other trout lake up here, other than Bridgeport Reservoir. And um, the reason for that is the food sources are so plentiful and the lake goes through an algae bloom in which which uh um takes place in the summer months and also in the fall and that's caused by the nitrogen and the phosphorus that enter the lake mainly through the Owens River and partially through the other creeks that come in on the west side of the lake so the fish have a plethora of food to choose from you know anywhere from midges, which are a mosquito-like looking fly that don't bite. There are biting midges in other parts of the world, but these midges don't bite. They reproduce in the lake, and you'll just have millions of these midges, you know, emerging from the lake bottom and, and the trout feeding on them throughout the year. And that's the main food source of trout in Crowley Lake. Bridgeport Reservoir and Crowley Lake both have that same large midge population happening. Now, the other lakes that we were talking about, they have a smaller population of midges, and the trout recognize them and they eat them. But um, if you're fishing with midges, you're going to do your best at Crowley Lake, and you're going to have probably the best numbers of fish there and also the best size. And then as the summer months go on, we do have um leeches, And calabatus mayflies and damselflies, you know, all those are pretty high-protein food sources for the fish. And the main one that gives them the most protein is going to be the Sacramento perch, which was a fish that was introduced into the lake in the 60s (laughs) illegally, but actually it turned out to be a good thing um, for the trout because the trout will feed on the fry or the young of the perch in the summer months and really put on the pounds you know with those guys.
3: Um, Let's, go, so what makes let's
1: so- go go ahead you know, so let's go back to explain the midge a midge looks like a furry mosquito it that doesn't bite, but when they they come from the bottom of the lake they spawn in the bottom of the lake in the mud flats a lot of them and and as they come up you're fishing. <laughs> You're fishing a fly that it's basically a little a little hook with some a lot of time black thread wrapped around the hook and a little copper bead on the top, and it may have some copper piping that goes around it, or you might use a red thread on it for for one with a white bead on the top. There's all kinds of but it's a little tiny fly and then the you you use two flies. And another one is this little furry mass of stuff that is doesn't look like much of anything. Neither does that, that little midge fly thing with the with a little copper bead or a little black bead or a little white bead on it. But explain what that means as that fish as that bug starts coming up out of the mud and when to use which one. Because there's that little piece of thread, and then you got one with a little bit more fuzz on it that you maybe put Eighteen inches above, and you use more than one fly. Explain that to us.
9: Sure. And that's a great a great thing to talk about because a lot of customers and clients that we get that have never fly fished before and don't really haven't really done any background research on fly fishing at all. They're just kind of coming in and okay, shows what to do, kind of thing. They're fight, you know I, I get the question on the boat a lot where after they catch a fish, I go, okay, I tell them to go ahead and cast back out, and let's go ahead and get another one. And um, they look at me and say, well, don't we need to rebate the hook? And I I say, no, actually what what fly fishing is that, you know, the definition of it would be in, in simple terms, really what you're doing, a fly is just a hook, starts as a hook, and then you're taking thread and wire and beads and feathers and wrapping them and tying them onto the hook and making it look like, making that hook look like a bug or a bait fish or, um, I mean, you can make it look like a mouse, I mean, a, a turtle. There's guys that tie bigger stuff, you know, for other types of species of fish that eat bigger stuff, you know. But we're tying in, we're using those those materials to imitate the natural food that the that the fish are feeding on. So in the case of the midges on Crowley, a midge actually resembles um, a, a hook. Um, it's almost when the midge swims and wiggles, it will. It actually almost looks, you know, it, it forms a J formation, you know, at some point in its wiggling as it comes from the lake bottom to the top. So the hook actually already looks like a midge. But we're adding a little bit of thread to it to build up the, the shaft of the hook um, a little thicker. And then we might take some wire, really thin wire, and wrap it um, from, the, from the eye of the hook all the way to down the shaft to where the bend starts. And wrapping that wire actually creates, um, you know, if we were to look at it, it would look like something that's striped. Um, but what we're really trying to imitate is segmentation of a midge um, because a midge has segments in its body, and that actually imitates those segments really well. And then we may top it off um, or start at the eye, just behind the eye with a little bead, you know, and various colors, like you were saying, the beads can be you know, from black to purple to white to red, copper. And we have different colored beads, different colored thread, um, different colored wire. To imitate different color midges. You know, that just like when you go out trout fishing with lures, you know, or even ocean fishing, you know, out on the salt, you know, there's sometimes sometimes Wahoo are gonna like other colors, you know, it might be purple, it might be uh you know, the Tony the Tiger pattern. Um you know, who knows? Any any color any day it's anyone's guess, you know, until you try it and start catching fish. But the same same thing applies to trout fishing as well. They're going to be feeding on different bugs at different times, so we have different colors, you know, for them, you know, at different times as well. And so the way we fish these midges, the life cycle of the midge, the adults are flying around and they mate, and then the females will actually land on the water and drop their eggs, and the eggs will sink to the bottom of the lake and they'll settle in the mud And they'll hatch into a larva, which is actually like a long, thin red worm. And they'll actually stay in the the mud and they'll have these little tubes that they live in, in the mud. And they won't venture far from the mud, you know, maybe a few inches off the mud every once in a while until they turn into a pupa. And once they turn into a pupa, they wiggle their way very slowly to the top of the water. And they have to break the surface tension, and and they'll actually emerge or crawl out or separate from their shuck. And the wings will will dry off, and they'll fly off, and, and the whole life cycle starts again. So most of the time, we're imitating these midges as they're emerging from the mud and coming up to become an adult. And when that happens, usually when you have a big hatch and the barometer is high and you have high pressure you have a lot of midges coming up at once, you know, hundreds hundreds and thousands of them, and the trout know when that's happening. So they'll go in there and just sip them and pick them off as they, they emerge. and And the way we rig for that is a leader with one fly or two flies and maybe a little weight up above. And a lot of times we'll try to get that bottom fly really close to the bottom, sometimes inches off the bottom, and other times the fish are feeding higher in the water column. We might come up three, four. I fished them up as high as five feet before and, and uh, you know, caught fish even higher. So it's a really effective way, you know, to catch the trout. And uh, like I said, Crowley Lake, one of the best places to experience something like that. Um, and just for a jump to the future here this June, um, I'll be guiding at Eagle Lake, which is just outside of Susanville, California. Um, and we use the same method there, but we're using other bugs that are a little more native to the lake that the fish eat. Um, but that's all Eagle Lake rainbow trout. Um, but the same method works works very well. Very shallow water, and you know, also a great fishery for uh, for fly fishing.
1: You know, the the fun part about this is you don't have to know how to do this. <clears throat> they use a, a strike indicator once you've throw the rod out there, and they can teach you how to do that, or they'll do that for you with a fly rod, and you'll hold it, and the strike indicator is basically a bobber. And when you see that move, fish have no hands. They've grabbed that thing, and you've got to learn how to strip the line off, set the rod, you know, pull straight up on the rod, set the hook, and then start trying to figure out how to get that fish in the boat. And these fish at Crowley can be anywhere from 12 inches to 30 inches. I mean, they can really be big. It's not uncommon to catch two, three, four pound fish on the fly rod at Crowley with this technique. And it's just pure fun for your family. If you've never done anything like this before, I I highly suggest that if you have a chance to go up there and Get a call in to Sierra Drifters, book with one of the guides. He's got several guides up there, Two Bug Doug, along with Doug Rodericks here. Two Bug Doug is one of their guides, great guy. Um, Hans, a young man that that I've been fishing with, with my wife and my three dogs. He took us all out in the boat. I mean, they're very open to taking your family out and teaching you how to do this and just have pure fun doing something you've never done before. But it is it's a kick and and you it's there's a good chance you're going to catch the trout of your lifetime doing this style of fishing and then you go up to eagle lake and eagle lake is is above um it's above northern further north in northern california there but you're fishing for another style of fish another type of fish but there's some bigger fish in there too
9: yeah absolutely and and what you said about not knowing not uh, knowing anything and being worried about, you know, I don't know how to fly fish, and you know, we we take care of that for you, you know. And and I come from a from a spin fishing background and saltwater background, and I, I can tell you, you know, the biggest hurdle or the biggest thing that I find explaining um, to people, you know, fly fishing, and for example, I know we a lot of our audience saltwater fishes here, but. On long-range fishing boats, you know, when I've gone, I've I've talked to people and and I've actually guided a lot of saltwater fishermen from those trips, um, and they they've had a blast. But they, you know, the concept of understanding it, um, it, it's a little hard to explain until you actually do it. But it doesn't take, you know, in in our minds when we as fishermen, I think we get kind of complacent, and when we know, okay, I know how to bass fish a certain way, or I. You know, I'm a good yellowtail fisherman and this is how I how I do it, or even trout, you know, or whatever fish you fish for. You know, we, we're very comfortable with what we already know and are good at. You know, and when people um have to learn something new, I think, you know, in their minds they may think, oh, okay, it's gonna take a lot and a long time to learn, I gotta relearn everything. But that's not the case. If you come out on a trip with us, You know, everything's set up for you. It's really easy. You know, we take the first 15, 20 minutes of of your guide trip to show you everything. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be something very difficult to do. You know, we put put a rod in your hand. We show you a few casts, you know, and and kind of work on your technique with that cast, show you how to set the hook on a fish, how to fight a fish on the fly rod. And, And what's so great about Crowley is a lot of times, I mean, your first fish can be a fish over 20 inches, and that's a trout that a lot of anglers spend their whole life, you know, trying to catch fish of that size. And a lot of fly fishermen or fishermen in general might go years and years before even seeing a fish that big. So that's one of the benefits is, you know, being your first time, you you could catch fish that size, and it's a lot of fun and very simple. You know, the fact that people don't you, – you
1: catch a trout in inches. A lot of people catch them in pounds, but a 20 20- – inch fish or more can be three to four pounds, depending on the time of the year you catch it and which species you catch, you know, whether it's brown rainbow or, or cutthroat and and each one of those fish has its own way of fighting, which is once you get up there and and you try this and you get involved with the sport a little bit, you'll come back. It's not going to be your first experience because it's really fun. And, you can go anywhere in the Sierras and catch the, what we call put-and-take fish. They put them in you, for you to take them out. That 6-inch to 12-inch rainbow trout. To go to the lakes with, where Doug is talking about and let us try to, to get you into a fish that you're not used to catching, this is the most fun thing you can do with your family. I mean, because kids can do it. My wife got involved with it. She loves it. Wendy's Taking her you would talk to all the girls running around the boat giggling and scratching (laughs) while they're while they're catching these fish. It is a fun, fun experience, and it's nothing you should be afraid of. It's just fun. You can go out for a half a day, learn. I can't tell you how many friends I've sent up there to fish with Doug and his group, where they go up for a half a day, have fun, they come back, they go down, they redo everything they buy all the new gear and they go up in their own boats and learn how to do it their own way in their own boats and that's been a really successful way for promoting the fishery in both Crowley and Bridgeport the the reservoir where this fishery is just abundant and a ton of fun
9: yeah it is it's uh you know it's it's uh, it's i uh, you know we we take Crowley as you know, our, our, it's great for beginners, it's great for kids, it's great for women, it's it's just all around, and for advanced anglers especially that already know how to do this. You know, they're catching a lot of big fish, and, you know, it's it's such an easy program, too, and, and a great way to start fly fishing. Uh, you know, you don't have to cast very far, you know, to get into these fish, and, and it's just a really nice thing especially for kids you know you know a lot of times i hear um parents that book trips with those they they're not sure if the kid's ready or at the age to learn how to fly fish you know and and you know we we've taught kids i mean six years old seven years old i i've had eight year olds reeling in you know 23 inch fish like it's nothing so it's not uh you know if they can do it you know it's nothing to be that you need to overthink, you know, you just come and do it and have fun doing it. And, you know, we've, we've got your back on, on the learning portion of it. And, you know, through the whole trip, we're we're right there with you, coaching you and, and working with you and, you know, um, teaching you how to fight the fish, what to do, what not to do, you know, sometimes you got to move around the boat, you know, but we're, we're, we're there with you to help you and introduce you guys to, to the sport. And, you know, so you can share the joy of it. Like, uh, we, you know, like we enjoy it.
1: Doug, how many guys have you got working for you up there?
9: So we have total we have seven in the summer and five in the winter. Wow.
1: That's pretty doggone good. You know, you've got to if people want to come up there and play, they need to know where to go and, and what to throw but how do they get a hold of you and how do they book a trip and and you know, if they want to talk to you, what what do
9: they do? So first off I would say go to our website. There's a ton of information on there on all the fishing we do, um the equipment we use, the trips we do, our our you know weekly fish reports are on there. You can sign up for our newsletter which goes out every uh you know once a month or sometimes twice a month with announcements and conditions on what's going on and you know plans for for upcoming months and so forth. So that's a really good uh, thing to sign up for on there. And then we also have our reservation um request to book a trip with us online. You can just fill out the form, send it to us, we'll get it. We'll give you guys a call or text or email, whichever reply you would like, and uh get something set up for you. The other way is just to call us direct or text us at our number, which is 760-935-4250. And... Uh, you know, we can, if you guys are ready to go, we can talk to you about our trips or answer any questions you have or just go ahead and, you know, get the trip booked for you. You know, that uh, is also, we're we're also on Facebook and Instagram quick, as well.
1: All right. Well, you know, I'm sorry here. We're going to have to sign off here. We're getting to the end. But Doug, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show tonight. What an interesting and wonderful situation you've got up there with taking people that that don't know how and the guys that do know how to fly fish in Crowley Lake and an opportunity to fish year to year with you in the trout season in in the Sierra. But that's it for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, that is all for our show. We got to go. It uh, has been a great show with wendy and wayne and Merritt for the information we've got out but we've got to go and we'll be on next week at the same time and in shape for rod and radio this is all we've got to go by
5: Ah, oh, you know what well, there's a sign upon your door uh-huh gone fishing I'm real gone, man. <laughs> you ain't working anymore. Could be. There's your hoe out in the sun. Where you left a row half done. You claim that hoein ain't no fun. But I can prove it. You ain't got no ambition gone fishing.